light. Once God spoke it, it went everywhere. It illuminated every inch. It spread itself far. At 186,000 miles a second, it was all around. Billions of heated electrons flooding through your fingertips found. Once light gets unleashed, it lights up the entire sky. It lets itself go, free, shooting past by. There's no hiding it. Angels at the gate radiated. It shimmers through cities like a gem. It cleans. It clears. It doesn't condemn. It runs down the dark streets and smiles. Once it's there, no one stumbles. Light up. It's your candlelight, fluorescent light, sunlight. It beams free for all. Shadows melt behind the disappearing wall. It enters your eyes. And you have sight. White hot particles burst bright and glow in the gaze. At morning, it creates new days, and new life grows and glows and glows. Dark and light. Choose light. Choose light. Choose light. It's actually what Jesus had said to those who were following him. In fact, Matthew, a tax collector and a follower of Jesus, recorded what Jesus said. Jesus said these words. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand, and now that I've put you there on a hilltop on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. Choose light. I have a problem with this. Sometimes I don't think that I'm too good of a light. It was the Saturday before Valentine's this year that I had come into the office early and had my schedule all set on the way it should be for that day. I came in early, I studied, I went to our intercessory prayer group. After that, I was going to study some more, and then I was going to have a light lunch, and then I was going to go get a card and a gift for Pam, and then I was going to go work out. So everything was going fine. I got to about the part where I'm supposed to go get lunch, and, and Pam called, and she said, I need you to drop everything you're doing. I said, why? And see, what was happening that evening was a going-away party for our, our son, Dustin, who was traveling to Australia. She said, there's a bunch of stuff that I still haven't gotten done, and we got people coming over, so you've got to help me. Now, people who like to consider themselves organized have this saying. 
A lack of planning on your part does not constitute an emergency on my part. So I got frustrated. I thought to myself, you know, if you would be as organized as I am, then you wouldn't be interrupting my precious schedule. And I was stupid enough to say that. <laughs> so I said, what? What do you need? Why can't you? Why? And I just started through this whole thing of, of why can't you and where and when and get the get the kid whose party it is to go out and do stuff and 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 so I just I got an attitude. And did you ever get into one of those moments when you are arguing for something and halfway through you realize how stupid it sounds, but you're not smart enough to pull out? <laughs> so here's what I said. See if you can catch the irony in this. I said, so, 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 so I've got to give up my schedule, stuff that I planned. You know, you could have planned. We knew for two weeks this was going to happen. And so I'm giving up my schedule. So just so you know, messing up my schedule means that I'm not going to make it to go get your card and your gift to tell you how much I love you on Valentine's Day. So, then I hung up and about a minute later called back and said, uh, that's not what I meant. And I realized what an idiot I'd been. And, you know, she was so gracious and she just said, I forgive you and, and, and really was nice to me. And the, and the party went great and, and it was wonderful. Now, when, when I was growing up, we used to go to church and they used to teach us a song. And some of you that have been raised in church, you remember the song. It's this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. And then you do the, remember, and you'd have the actions, finger in the air. And, and then you would, with that, go, hide it under a bushel. <laughs> I'm going to let it shine. So you've got to put it under the bushel. Hide it under the bushel. I'm going to let it shine, hide it under a bushel. I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Don't let Satan blow it out. And you go, it out. I'm going to let it shine. We go through all the way through that. Well, at that moment, I let Satan blow it out. I didn't let it shine. And that was it. See, I have a problem with this. Because what happens when Jesus says you're the light of the world and you're messing up? You're not quite what you think you should be. You're not the husband you should be. You're not the, the, the daughter, the son you should be. You're not the student you should be. You're not the friend that you should be. You're not the spouse that you should be. You're not the person you should be. What happens to that light? Well, so I've come to this conclusion. I've come to the conclusion that letting your light shine is not a solo act. We used to say that, that, and we've said it before, that if everybody took their candle and we all put it together, we'd have this marvelous light. I, I, that may be true, but I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about here. Now, I'm not a scientist, so you're going to forgive me for being really simple about this. But I want to talk to you about light for just a moment. And so give me some, some more light in, in the sanctuary, if you will. There we go. Now, you see that light? What makes it white and what makes it bright? 
And this is an astonishing thing. What I understand is that the light that you see right now as you look at these lights is that these lights come from color. The light that you see in its purest form comes from red, blue, and green. When they combine together, you get light. In fact, you can, you can understand that when you take a prism and you let sunlight hit it, what do you see? You see colors. In fact, I think we have an animation of that. If you, if you take a prism, that's what you get. In fact, if those colors begin to overlap, you will get yellow, you will get magenta, you will get a blue-green color. Here's what I think. Jesus, when he addressed us and he said, you are the light of the world, he was not talking to an individual, he was talking to a community. You are light of the world. We all come from different backgrounds. We all are in different cadences in our journey of understanding Jesus. Guys, this is about light. I've got to have that. Thank you. You have different cadences of life. You have different maturity levels. You have different heritages and backgrounds. If you will, we all are different colors. And for us to be the light of the world, he says, I want you to say, I'm not perfect, but Jesus, you can use me any way you want. And when you and I and all of us get together with the colors that we are, those, those vivid, brilliant colors, and we mix them together, here's what he said. He said, let them see your good works. That simply means, in its, in its original translation, it simply means, let them find value in your relationships. For the kingdom of God is a kingdom of right relationships. So when we do those things that we should do, loving each other and caring for each other, even when we are different colors, he said, when you mix those together, they will glorify God because they will see the light. And so for these next four weeks, we're going to look at how we do that in very, very practical ways. In the first century, one of the favorite places for the early church to gather was in Solomon's colonnade. It was there in the temple, and they would gather together. As you see, it's, it's rather large, and so that, that early church would gather there, and there they would have their, their official discourses. They would have their, their speeches and their sermons, and then they would express themselves in praise, much like we do on a Sunday morning and what's happening all over the city right now. And we think in America today that this is the deal. This is the thing. We go to this thing, and then we're done. Now, when they went to that thing, they weren't done. That was just the beginning because they had this other thing that they did that really was the heart of being a light. Luke, a follower of Jesus, witnessed it, and so he records what they did in Acts, the second chapter, the 46th verse. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts and circled glad and sincere on your notes or in your Bible, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved." They left that place, that worship gathering, and they went into their homes, spread out through the entire city, and there they ate together. The literal wording is sharing in the meal. 
Somebody called this week because they saw the advertisement on WICU about this service this morning, and they said that your title, you used the word pallets wrong. You you used the wrong wording. You're supposed to use the wording that goes with color, color pallets, and you use the one pallet having to do with taste. And they're right in one sense, but they're wrong in the other because that's exactly what we wanted you to understand this morning, that we must taste the colors that we are made to find Christ in the meal. The Romans call it convivium. It is their translation of the word banquet. Literally, it means when they come together in a banquet, it's called coming to the living together. That the dinner time was more than just food. It was the living together. Do you find it interesting that when Jesus began his ministry, it began at a week-long banquet? Do you find it interesting that his most intense criticism toward him came because of who he ate with? Do you find it interesting that as he began the last stretch of his ministry here on earth, it was at a Passover meal? And that he said, we will get back together again and finish this meal, only this time when we get together, you're going to be having dinner at my house. And you find it interesting that the early church was known for their gathering together for a meal. That this action was not some church program of dinners for eight and let's try to get together sometime in the next six months. This was a lifestyle of daily eating together. Why? Because eating together lightens the heart. I don't know how that happens, but it just happens. It says they ate together with gladness. You circled that word. That means exuberant joy. When they got together at their meals, they had great joy. We are empty nesters, Pam and I are, and and, and we have kids, one in Australia, one in Missouri, one in Africa, and one in Washington, D.C. They're all over the place. And you know what we miss? We miss our mealtimes together. Because my kids are crazy. And we spend half the, the, the time just laughing, just being careful we don't choke. It's just always been that way. There is this exuberance. The meal was meant for laughter, and it's always been that way. I can recall that, that Pam and I had taken the kids out to meet some other friends uh, that we didn't know very well. We are just getting to know them. And, and again, it's, it's a great way to get to know somebody around the table. And so we'd gone out to eat. And we're sitting in a restaurant, and I've got to explain to you the logistics of this. We're at a table, and, and we're sitting. The table goes this way. There's a wall behind us. And so we're on both sides of the table. And then over a ways, next to the windows of the restaurant, are some other tables. The sun is going down, which is now casting a shadow against this wall. And so we're talking, and suddenly we hear our kids. They are just dying. They are laughing so hard. They are just cracking up. Well, what's transpired is the sun has gone down and the guy sitting here, and I have no other easy way to say it, just has a really big nose. And the sun is hitting the nose and is being projected on the wall. So our kids on this side of the table, not missing a moment, make shadow puppets on his nose. They are skiing down the nose. They are honking the nose. They are boring into the nose. They are just laughing. 
I said, kids, you should... That is the funniest thing I've ever seen. That is so great. The mealtime is not about decorum. It is about a sharing of life. I always find it very interesting that those who follow Jesus will go to a funeral gathering and they will remember the person and they will celebrate life and even if it's been a tragic, a tragic death that was unexpected, they walk through that process with hope. And what does everybody do after they go to the graveside? They go have a meal together. And you walk through and without fail, every meal I've been to, there is laughter. Because suddenly we remember and we talk and we laugh and it lightens our hearts around the meal. I love Tony Campalo. I love his comment. Talking about his Italian heritage, he says, you know, the difference between an Italian funeral and an Italian wedding, one less person. But the celebration is still intense. We've got to gather around those meals. And, and I've got to tell you, we are so busy, we don't do that anymore. It not only lightens the heart, it exposes the heart. He said, they gather together with glad and sincere hearts. Sincere actually means uncluttered simplicity that it is at that place that we begin to expose who we are. There's something about eating together that all the pretenses that you have on Sunday morning are not there. All those facades, you start to really share life. I mean, you're into each other's homes, you see the pictures and you talk about what you're doing and you begin to understand each other. I mean, it is in, in Boise, Idaho, I sat there with a friend and we're having dinner together and it's at that moment he says, I need to let you know that you know that I'm an alcoholic and I'm dealing with it, but I'm going to need your help. It's not going to happen on a Sunday morning when I'm looking at the back of his head. I met with, with years ago, I met with 10 guys every Friday morning for a year at 7 o'clock in the morning. And it was in that setting that some of them would say, man, help me because my temper is really getting the best of me. One of them was a pilot and he said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm flying around and when I stay in hotels, I'm so tempted to watch the porno channel. You've got you to help me. It's the stuff that gets exposed as we sit and we talk and we eat together. And, and I just want to say to you that if you're too busy to have dinner time and meal time with your family, you're too busy. And you're cutting out the heart of your life. If you're too busy to, to have dinner with your friends, then you're too busy. What are you, what are you going for? It's like you've missed the total, the total picture because that is the kingdom of God. What happens when we eat together is that the meal blends our stories. And, and sometimes it's our stories that actually are the division. I'll show you. If your story takes you through cathedral prep, high school, and someone else's story takes them through McDowell High School, how well do those stories blend? Not usually very well. Intense rivalry. If your story took you through voting for Obama, 
And somebody over here, your story took you to voting for McCain. How well does that blend together? God bless you, you little skunk. There's, there's that collision. If, if, your, if, if your story took you through Catholicism and your story took you through, through evangelicalism, at times there is this, this clash that takes place. The word companionship actually in the Latin meaning is this word, breading, breading together. Sitting down and eating bread together. My whole body has a story. And my whole body works with that story. I have this DNA that tells my story. I have the way that my body functions. I have this story. And if you try to take somebody else's story, their liver, and put it in my body, my body rejects that story. Because it's built with its antibodies to push it out. If I need a kidney and my body says, oh, you're not part of the story, it throws it out. If I need a cornea transplant and they try to put that in there, my body says, no, 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 it's not part of my story, out you go. So the doctors have got to come in and reconstruct my body in some way that that life-saving thing will happen to come into my body and I will embrace it. When we sit at a common meal, when we sit together with Jesus in the center, he reconstructs the body. So that which was used to be foreign to me, now I'm able to embrace and I enter into that story. At Glenridge Church International in Durban, South Africa, guys, if you visit, and you, you start to hang out there in that community of faith, you know what they'll do? Somebody's going to come up to you and say, hey, in about three weeks we're going on a camp out. We want you to go. Well, what is it? We're just camping out. On the weekend? Yeah. It's like, is there a speaker? Nope. I mean, like Bible studies? No. Devotionals? No. What do you do? We just hang out. So they'll grab you and you'll go to a game park and camp inside the game park. That'll make it close. And so you'll sit around the campfire and, and, and you'll eat together and you'll sleep in tents and pray that no lions visit. And you'll eat together and during those 48 hours you will share your stories. And when you're back home the next week you won't believe the companionship that has taken place because they breaded together. You see, when you invite someone or when, when, when you tell your story, you're inviting those people to enter into your story. That's what happens around the table. Share it and I get to be part of it. I sat yesterday with a mixed cultural racial group of leaders in this city. And the guy that introduced... The guy that started it, he got us all together. He said, no, here's what we're going to do. You're going to introduce yourself, but not the typical way. Don't say, I am so-and-so when I do this. I want you to tell your cultural story. What's important to you and how you were raised? And by the time we got done, we had just entered into each other's stories. When the Jews gathered for the Passover, they just didn't tell a story. 
Uh, well, you know, the, 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 the death angel came, but we had the blood, and when we got, and we left, we exited, and we, and we, and Red Sea, and, and, and there's a story. No, 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 no. They would say something like this. This is the night when God brought us out of Egypt. There is something that transpires at that moment, in that sacrament, that telescopes the past and the present together. It is not, that's what happened to them. This is what happened to us because we are part of this. We are now in the story. And we're living out what happened to us then. We are still living it out now. When you deal with the sacraments, the past and the present are one. So it is at that setting, at the Passover, in that understanding of that Jewish flavor, that when Jesus said these important words, he wasn't just saying, this is what happened. He's saying, I'm inviting you into my story. And here's what Paul said transpired. For I received from the Lord what I also passed to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, The cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim, proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now listen. Paul is not debating and talking about whether or not that when we get together and we partake, whether this actually becomes the flesh of Jesus or whether this actually becomes the blood of Jesus. That's not the discussion there. Or whether this is a symbol. He said, when you come together and you partake of this bread, you are the body. And as the body, you remember. And you remember not... Oh, that's happened. You remember by joining in the story in the same way the Jews did it at Passover. Now you do it at his table. This is what happened. We're with the disciples and this is what transpired and we're living out the story. We are there. There is this wonderful dynamic, this supernatural event that takes place when we take that cup and that bread. This is not just a meal. This is a sacred meal. I don't understand how that happens, but, but Paul the Apostle in talking to the church in Rome said, don't you remember that when Jesus died, you died with him? And the wording there means actually somehow we were there. And we were buried with him. And our sins were buried. And when we came out of there, they stayed buried. And he said, and don't you know that you resurrected with him to a new life? Somehow we did that we as the body, as we partake of this bread, we remember and somehow we are in that story, an, an activated continuation. We are in his story. So it's not just a moment of hocus pocus, oh now it's flesh and now it's blood and so at this moment you partake and then you can leave to church or you can leave mass and go live, if you excuse the expression, like hell the rest of the week because it is not just a hocus pocus moment, it is a continuation of what started that night in that upper room. And it is not, oh let's look on Jesus 
page. Let's look, let's look on his face page there and see Jesus' story. Oh, he has some nice pictures of what happened with the disciples. God's Facebook is so pretty. We like his Facebook. Maybe we should write on his wall. No. Somehow this is real. This is alive. In a few moments, when you partake of those elements, when you take those, you're not saying, oh, well, that was really great what he did. You are there and living it out now. And what is amazing about this, this meal, this meal within a meal, this meal that took place during the common meal, what is amazing is the Jews and the Greeks, the Gentiles, Women and men, slave owners and slaves, all came together as one at this table. And that was so unheard of. And the light, the light got bright. They entered into each other's stories because we were absorbed in Jesus' story together. And the promise is this, that we cannot eat that meal unless we eat the collective meal correctly. And that was the problem that Paul was addressing to the church at Corinth. He said, you're gathering around this thing, and it's not that you're, you're not doing this, it's you're just not doing it like you're supposed to be doing it. And so this is what he explains to them. 1 Corinthians 10. He says this. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? And is not the bread, I'm sorry, the participation in the body of Christ because there is one loaf. We who are many are one body for we all partake of one loaf. See this cup This cup says he forgave us. And if it were in his story, then we have to keep forgiving too. So there can be no division. And this bread, this bread says that if you partake of it, then we're one body. And there can be no division. And unless we live this out, we profane this table. The Corinthians were continuing to eat, but they just weren't remembering what, what this was about. And Paul says, this is a lie. This is a sham. This is not the real thing. This thing you're doing on Sunday morning when you go once a month or whether you go to, to Mass every week, that thing, it's a sham. It's just a sham if you're not doing it the way it's supposed to be done. So here's what they would do. They would leave the temple and they would gather at each other's houses. And generally at people at their house who were rich, were affluent to get more people in. So they would gather together in this house, and I think we have a, a picture of that house. Can we get that up there? And so they would gather, and over here to the right would be the dining area. And you can't get too many people in that dining area, but there's the courtyard. So some would gather in the dining area, and the rest of them would go into the courtyard. You can get about 30 or, four peop 30 or 40 people in that courtyard. But what was happening is that the cathedral prep alumni group would get the dining room and the McDowell people would be out in the courtyard. 
The Republicans would be in the courtroom or in the, in the dining room and the Democrats would be forced out into the courtyard. Are you ready for this? The people from 32nd and Liberty would gather together and remember the old times and force out the new people. Because it's not the way it was. Us people raised in a Pentecostal movement for all my life would gather together and say those charismatics are crazy out there because they're not doing it right. And I'd push them out into the courtyard. Oh, my, my tradition is that when we come to church, you, you, you don't wear a hat and you don't bring coffee in and those people who wear a hat and, and a coffee or piercings or tattoos, we'll, we'll let them come, but they've got to be out in the courtyard. And what they were doing is that they were taking the better food and taking it inside the dining room and letting the others have the leftovers and they were having an earlier dining time so they could start earlier. And by the time the others got into the courtroom, they were already drunk in the dining room. And Paul's saying, you're not, getting, you're not failing to get together. You're just failing to be God's new people. And that has incredible consequences. And so he describes those consequences in 1 Corinthians 11th chapter. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. So a man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord, eats and drinks judgment on himself. And that is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. This is, not, this is a sacred meal. It's not just a common meal. But it is a common table. It is a common cup. It is everybody joined together who eats of the bread, becoming one body. And the usual sociologically diverse people who understand they're diverse and keep themselves divided cannot work when you come to this table. You can't say, well, these people and these people never get together, so that probably shouldn't happen when we come to this table because we just know that it'll never happen. I am sorry, but that is not the way it works in the kingdom of God. We gather at this table and all of that stuff has got to go that label us as separate or we profane the table. So I want to do this, and just bear with me, and I need some of you that are, that are not shy to respond to this. And I haven't picked out people to help me with this, so I'm just going to need your response. And we're going to do two things. First of all, while I'm doing this, if you did not get here in time to get the elements this morning, the cup and the bread, we have some ushers ready right now, and if you just raise your hand as, as we're doing that, we've got some folks, and just, they're going to get that to you because we're going to partake in just a moment. But here's what I need this morning. I need some folks to come up here and st- stand with me. So if you're going to help me, and I'll just need one, just stand up and I'll point somebody out that stands up. I need someone who is a prep graduate. Give me a prep graduate. Come on. Come on up. I need a McDowell graduate. Give me a McDowell graduate. Come on. I'm going to make you guys stand together. In the meantime, if you need the elements, get, get, a, get one of our ushers to help you there. I need a Republican. Right here. I need a Democrat. Come on up. I need a business owner. Give me a business owner. Okay, come on up. 
I need a laborer. Give me a laborer. Somebody in the union. Give me a union member. Come on up. I need somebody who likes really, really weird alternative music. I need somebody who likes the Gaithers. Pastor Don, get up here. I need somebody who is African or from African-American descent up here. I need somebody. Way back there. Come on up. I need somebody from Hispanic descent. Anybody? Hispanic descent. Anybody? Come on, Don. I need somebody from Asian descent. Asian. Come on up. I need somebody from Heinz 57 Caucasian. That's, it's like me. I'm, I'm, I'm American Indian and I'm, and I'm English and, and I'm German and whatever else happened back then. Okay, great. Take your cup and your bread. When we come to this table, and just gather real close together here, and you don't even have to be in a line. You can just kind of clump together. Come on. When you come together at this table, you are not a Democrat. And you're not a Republican. And your ancestry may be African-American, but, but you're not. Or African, and, and it's not Asian, and it's, and, it's, and, it's, and, it's, and it's not what music, and it's none of that stuff. And it's not employer, it's not business owner, and, and, and laborer, and, and, and union. It's, it's this. When you take this bread, we are all one body. So I'm going to ask you, and it's, this stuff is, is tough. So just, I want, but I want you to take something, just rip it off and pass it. Take a piece. Take a piece. Rip it off and pass it. Seriously, Joy, rip it off and pass it. We need someone who's weak and someone who's strong. boy. This is his body, broken for us. Now, in just a moment, in just a moment, when you partake of your little wafer, and I'm sorry, we've got to figure out a better way to get bread out of one loaf for everybody. You cannot, you cannot partake of this meal and have in your mind that you don't like somebody in here or hate them or not forgive them. You can't do that. When he said, examine yourself, he's not talking about, well, have I sinned this week? I mean, yeah, we've got to do that. What he's talking about, as you read the context, is what is your attitude toward the rest of the body? And if you you have unforgiveness, if you have bitterness, you've got a problem. If you have racism, you have a problem. If you say, that Tom Matta, he's a Democrat? Ooh! Jesus could be. How do you know? 
You can't do that. Because here's the deal. He said, if you do not examine yourself and you come with that kind of attitude, a bad attitude against the body, judgment will come to you. Now, it, it will get to you, but what he said to the church at Corinth is, just so that you know you'll get to it, I've allowed some of the judgment to come right now. And some of you are sick and some of you have even died because of that attitude because you did not examine yourself. This is not just some symbolic thing we do because it's the great thing that the church does. This is, we are in his story. And if we're in his story, we've got to treat him like he treats people in his story. Now, I know that we've got concerns about the flu bug and all that other stuff, and we have a common cup here. So we will will change that a little bit so we don't have to drink of the cup. But what we'll do is take that cup, and if you want to dip the bread into it, you're still going to get that. So, Pastor Donald, you want to just pass that. Just take that through and dip in the cup. Because when we do that, we say, okay, the same way he forgives, we forgive. We are one body. So now as he's doing that, you can go ahead and partake, and you can partake of the bread in the cup right now. We are one body. In fact, I just want you to say that out loud as a declaration. We are one body. Otherwise, we profane what he did. I want you to say this. We are in his story. We are in his story. He blends us together so that our stories come together. I'm going to have you guys be seated. Thank you. I've taken so much time on this this first part that I'm just going to wrap this up for us. But ladies, don't put your shoes on yet. Hang on. I want to say to you that as you're watching the earthquakes take place and that last one in Chile that actually altered the Earth's rotation, you don't want to know why that's happened? Because the scripture in Romans 8 says that the earth is groaning so that it will be freed and, and transformed from its decay. The earth wants to be changed into what Jesus has promised it. And we all want the decay to stop. And the good news about this meal, it tells us that there is something in this world that was created and the decay has stopped, and it's Jesus' body. For he died and he rose again. That's why he said, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So when we partake of this today, as we have, we say, Jesus, you entered into a new world, and now because you have, that new world is in our present world. Because we're in this story. So that what is being done in heaven can be done on earth right now. That is why that when we come to the table, the people who feast at this table should be the first people who go out to stop famine and, and injustice in the world. Because it's got to be like heaven. And the people who pray, oh, let there be an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, should be the people that have incredible reserves of grace and forgiveness for everybody else. That's the way it should be. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Because when we do that, we're light. And so I'm going to ask you to do this simply. Number one, invite friends over for a meal.
every week. You say, but my house isn't... I don't care about your house, and no one else does either. Yeah, but, but I can't cook. Everybody brings something. Get over your pride. You don't need new towels in the bathroom. Pam. See, that saves me for her calling me on a Saturday saying, we have people coming overnight, drop everything. So here's the deal. Invite people over. We've got to. We've got to. Because if we're not getting together in the common meal, then it's really no good for us to get together in the sacred meal. Secondly, tell your stories. Do not turn on the TV while you're eating. Turn the music down low and ask questions. Tell me where you're raised. Tell me what's happened in your life. What's the biggest struggle you've got? Ask questions and tell your stories and then pray for each other before you get out of that house. And thirdly, share the Eucharist. In my house? I cannot find anything in Scripture that says you can't. In fact, that's what they did. Yeah, but don't you need a priest? No. If you're going to follow the Passover system that Jesus did, whoever is the head of the house distributes the elements. But I'm not sure how to do that. Go on our website, eriefirst.org. We have a, a way for you to do that. And when you get together in a meal in your houses, before you break away from there, share the elements together. And remember that we are one body. Because the truth is this, we are not a lone light, but we are a light because we are not alone.